I just want to uh, publicly thank uh, the, the artistic team for all their work on uh, these vignettes that we're doing. Um, it's amazing. For three minutes of time, there's hundreds of hours of painting and costumes and trying to get lighting right and building things. And guys, it's a tremendous labor of love, but it's people that are using their gifts to glorify God. And I just want to encourage you, no matter what your gifts are, I want, you to encourage, I want to encourage you to use your gifts. Now, a couple quick things before I roll on to this message here. Uh, Stan and Patty Gibson, you are back. Welcome. Good to see you. I have no idea what time zone you're on, if you're on like Papua New Guinea time or something like that, but um, looking forward to getting an update from you guys soon. And I heard that you were in the house and I saw your faces and just wanted to say, welcome back, my friends. There are, they are translating the Bible into one of the languages of that great land of Papua New Guinea. And it is uh, a tremendous labor of love. So, and you're getting close. Getting close, so I'm very excited about that. Great. Um, there is always a lot going on, and um, peace is always a topic that we could talk about on any given Sunday, uh, but specifically this Sunday as our theme for Advent, it feels like the right time. I know I was at the hospital with a family as they were uh, with their loved one, uh, going to heaven yesterday, and there is nothing like knowing where you're going, that rhymes, knowing where you're going when you die. And there was so much peace, even in the midst of grief yesterday, that I got to be a part of and witness. And those are sacred and special and holy moments, but they're also moments where we realize our deep need for peace. And how stirred up we are living in this crazy, chaotic world. Around the holidays, you might resonate with this. I'm only one putting away from a Yuletide meltdown. <laughs> or all I want for Christmas is a nap. And they're all females up there. Why? Because the statistics say that women have more stress over the holidays than men. In fact, 8 in 10 Americans report increased stress during the holiday season. That means two people were probably lying. It should be 10 out of 10. <laughs> there are stressors for parents, right? I mean, the extra shopping, the household finances, the criticism from family members about holiday plans. Anybody ever experienced that before? Yeah, yeah. Just trying to get together with some some relatives, can make you want to run away to a peaceful place. In fact, I read this story about a place called Prison Inside Me. It's a, a facility in Korea outside Seoul, and it's specifically for putting yourself in solitary confinement for 24 or 48 hours. You pay $90 to be given a blue jumpsuit, and they give you a tea set, they serve your meals under the door, and you are completely alone the entire time. No cell phones, no electronics, they give you a small mat to sleep on, and that is it. Oh, and they give you a, a journal so that you can write things down. People are paying money to be sequestered in a 54-foot, square-foot cell. 
And this is what they said. After a stay in the prison, people say, this is not a prison. The real prison is where I return to. Whew. Do you know a new poll just this, last, this June said that 77% of people between 35 and 54 want to return to a time in society before we were plugged in, before cell phones, before the internet. 77%. Even 18 to 34-year-olds, the statistics are 66% want to go back if they can even remember a time when they weren't plugged in. So this world, as we know it, lacks peace. And yet Jesus is the one who says, I, I'll give you peace that the world can't give. He's called the Prince of Peace, one of his titles that we celebrate at Advent season. And so we are going to look at this account that we saw in the vignette today with the angel visiting a very stressed out Joseph. So it's in Matthew 1, but I want to actually look at the genealogy for a moment because this is the part you probably, if you're a Bible reader, you probably just skip over these parts. But I want to show you a couple quick things because there's, this is inspired scripture. There's some beautiful stuff in here. First of all, I want you to see that this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. Two figures that are pronounced that we got to point to. Abraham, because Abraham was given this covenant to say, hey, through you, I'm going to create a great nation, and then all nations will be blessed through your family group. So this is part of that covenant. The extension of that covenant is Jesus. And then David, King David, who is given this promise through the prophet Nathan that one of his sons will sit on his throne forever. That there is a Davidic covenant. And so these are two very important names in this list. And Matthew puts them right up there because he wants to show the kingly lineage of Jesus. So you see Abraham, and we see King David in that first column, but we also see three women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth. And then we see Uriah's wife. She's got a name. Her name is Bathsheba. Mary is the fifth woman listed in this genealogy. Genealogies in that day never included women. Here's the honoring of women in the midst of showing the lineage of Jesus. Now, those purple underlines, those are all kings. This is the kingly lineage that comes down in the next passage here to Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, who's called the Messiah. Jesus is Joseph's legal son, though he does not come from the DNA of Joseph. Matthew 1.17 sums it up. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the, from the exile to the Messiah. And if you're a Bible scholar, you know that Matthew leaves out three kings, and he's got some good reasons, I believe, for doing that, but we won't cover that today. So this is setting up... Verse 18, which was what you heard Abe Bailey beautiful. Don't you wish you had a voice like that? I got this high voice like this. And Abe's like, and this is the way that it was with Jesus. And I'm like, man, how, how do you do that? <laughs> this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, 
But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Okay, little history lesson here. I think you heard just a little bit from Alyssa last week on this. But you have Joseph and Mary, and probably in their day there was some arrangement of marriage, which might sound really like a bad deal, but my mom loves me, and she would have picked a wonderful wife for me, right? Maybe you don't have, feel the same way, but I also didn't have to do it either, right? But so there's some arrangement going on, and there is a betrothal process, and that betrothal period, it's almost as if you are married to one another. In fact, if one or the other dies, you're called a widow or a widower during that process. You are set apart for one another, and oftentimes you're waiting up to a year for the wedding day. Now, no one knows the day or the hour that the bridegroom will bring the procession to the bride's house to do the wedding. Only his father knows. Why? Because his job during this year is to build on a room or a house, if you will, a dwelling for he and his wife to live in that's attached to the larger structure of his father's house. Now, if you're like me, I want to get married right now. You know, you're doing a really shoddy job putting up at the house. And so the father makes sure, now Joseph, don't be doing a shoddy job. Now, this is, this is, a, this is for your bride. You need to do a great job. And so the father is waiting and making sure that this is okay. And then he says, okay, it's finally time. And that's why you've got the bridesmaids who are all trimming their lamps and they're waiting even at night to see, is it time? Is it day? Is it the day? This is obviously all pointing to someday the second coming of Jesus Christ. However, we'll just stay historical. So they are pledged to be married. They are in this time of a year of separation, if you will. But before they came together, before they were married, before they had any kind of sexual relations, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. What? Now, Let's stop here for a second. This is the first time that all of a sudden we understand, oh, the Spirit of God is a separate part of the Trinity from the Father and the Son. This is the first time we see this, and Matthew begins to develop this throughout his gospel. The Spirit of God has always had the agency of doing God's powerful works through the Old Testament, but right here now we see him as a distinct person that's doing something. When I say person, I mean aspects of personality, intellect, emotion, and will, not that he has a body like me, okay? So there is this, he finds out Mary is pregnant. Now you think, Joseph, he's a good dude. He's going to believe her. Of course, of course he's going to believe her. But he doesn't believe her. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, the, the, the text literally means because he was a righteous man. He was rightly aligned with what God, how God wanted him to live. He, he needed to do the right thing, and the right thing was to not be married to someone who was having a child by someone else. And yet he was in a quandary. He loved Mary, and he had compassion for her. And so what does he do? He doesn't want to expose her to public disgrace. Just as there was some public betrothal that would have happened, now all of a sudden it demands you to bring the whole elders of the city out and for her to be seen as an adulteress and potentially she could be stoned 
for her sin. Joseph loves her, and he's in a quandary. His anguish is real. That vignette that we saw, his anguish is real. And he has in his mind to divorce her quietly. There was a way that you could, only with one or two elders, kind of quietly dissolve this betrothal, and this was his plan. But after he had really mulled this over, he had considered this. He, Joseph appears to be a calculating guy. He's probably a stonemason. Oftentimes we think about him as a, as a carpenter. There's not a lot of trees to be doing a lot of carpentry with. Probably a lot of hardscape. So he's this calculating guy. He's like, okay, I, I think this is the way I'm going to do this. He's considered it. He's decided this is what I'm going to do. And behold, which is not in the NIV, but I'm bringing it back to you. Why? Because it's in the Greek text. And it says, hey, look, guys, this is like the Holy Spirit highlighter. And it's not even in your, oh, it's okay. We put it back in. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Joseph, in a dream. In the Old Testament, we see God speaking through dreams. In the ancient world, we see dreams are a place of revelation from the divine. Job 33 says this, For God does speak now one way, now another. In other words, in different ways. Though no one perceives it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on people as they slumber in their beds. When I slumber in my bed with my little puppy on my chest, old picture. Three places where dreams come from in my life and probably your life too. Either they come from heaven, they come from Jesus, and they are really sweet and really good. Or they're work dreams. I'm trying to figure out how in the world I'm going to get all the stuff done in the amount of hours I have. I'm going to try to figure out how in the world are we going to get that sewer line fixed to our house or, or how we're going to get the kids back and forth. And I'm trying to figure it out all night. You ever have those before? Those work dreams, right? Or math dreams. You have math dreams? Those could be night, nightmares. <laughs> Lastly, the enemy of your soul can also give you something that we call nightmares or night terrors. Anybody had those before? Yeah, they're horrible. They're awful. They will make you pray so fast, and, you, and that would be a good plan. And so there, there are some different places where we receive dreams from. And I, in my life, in the last 25 or so years, I've been really learning how to listen to what God's saying in my dreams. Knowing that sometimes I eat too much pizza, and all of a sudden I'm dreaming of weird things, and I go, that's just a weird dream, that's just me. But then there's other times when it's very distinct, and I go, hmm. What are you doing, God? So this week, I went to sleep. I was, I, last week, uh, Linda and I went on a trip to Pennsylvania. We saw a ministry called Urban Impact. Uh, Ed and Tammy Glover. Uh, Tammy would be a Backland. She is Ken Backland's youngest daughter. So she is part of our extended family doing ministry there. We went and saw their ministry as well, some other things and other friends. And while we were back there, I was just struck by how faithful God is to reach these little kids in the north side of Pittsburgh. And my heart just was like captured. And then we went to two of their musical productions and they shared the gospel and there were people all around me raising their hands, giving their lives to Jesus. So I'm just like, I feel like I ought to do this too. Like, this is great. I, I'm kidding. That's a joke. 
But my heart was just like, oh, my heart is so full. I couldn't even sleep the first night. I was just like, that was so exciting. Those people were so hungry and they were getting Bibles. And, and so this is what's on my heart and my mind. Whatever you do, fix your eyes on what's of heaven, those good things. And as you do, the Lord begins to take you in a place where, where your treasure is, your, there your heart will be also. And I'm treasuring the ministry. So I go to bed. I think it was Monday night. Doesn't matter. This week. And I, do you ever like have those dreams that just keep going? You wake up, get a glass of water, you go back to bed, and then you wake up, and then it just happens over and over. Anybody else, right? So that's what happened to me this night. And I will say at the end of the night, I was completely refreshed, okay? Don't feel sorry for me. I was completely refreshed. And what happens in dream after dream after dream? I am transported to North Pittsburgh, and I am laying hands on these little kids, and I'm praying Psalm 121 over all of them. Where does my hope from come from? My hope comes from you, God. And like corner after corner, and I'm praying, and I'm praying, and I'm praying, and I woke up in the morning, I thought, that was so strange. I prayed all night, but I feel refreshed. I don't think that was too much pizza, and I for sure know that that wasn't the enemy. That was God saying, hey, I'm going to raise up some more prayer. Here we go, right? So sometimes your dreams can be very much led by God in that way. There's other times when God just wants to show up. So uh, several of you sent me reports uh, from Gaza. I think it was maybe a week ago or two weeks ago. Uh, Anyway, long story short, there's this ministry going on there, this Christian man, and they've been sharing the gospel. And they had 200 men came and shared that they had the same dream of Jesus. He was revealing himself to these men in their dream. Why? Because sometimes God needs to get our mind out of the way so he can get right straight to our heart. And you don't have to be afraid. So I want to encourage and challenge you that if you're in an anguished place like Joseph was, you have your own anguished place. You can ask the Lord for a dream. And I would encourage you, if you have a dream, write it down, share it with some other mature believer that you have so that we can help you understand it. And this is the way God has always worked in the supernatural. And we don't want to lose that today just because we're not living in the first century. So Joseph has this dream. The angel comes. Behold, an angel angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Let's stop right there. He is the, this is the only other time that someone not named Jesus is called the son of David. Why? Because Matthew's pointing the fact that, by the way, this is the lineage of the, of, of the King David. Remember that from the earlier part of the chat? Just letting you know, just wanting to make sure you know this is, this is all legit. Do not be afraid. Angels always say that. They must have, I mean, maybe their hair looks like Michael's, my son, who was in this vignette. You know, just maybe it makes you afraid. I don't know. But do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Let's stop right there. This is not about Joseph being afraid of the angel. In fact, I would argue with you when God visits you in your dreams, generally you're not, I haven't felt afraid. I've just been excited, right? But if an angel showed up, I'd probably be afraid. I'd probably fall on the ground. They'd say, stand up. But this time, don't be afraid what? Not don't be afraid of me. It's don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. What could happen for Joseph if he takes this pregnant woman home as his wife? This could be shame all over the place. This could ruin their entire family's reputation. There's so much to lose. He's a righteous man. 
But God says, don't be afraid of that. God is the one who can protect our reputation. And boy, have I learned this over the years. When you can't defend yourself, in fact, defending yourself just looks weak. You have to trust God that he has your back. He knows how to come. He knows how to be your strong tower and your defense. So don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now remember, first century author, uh, audience is like, what, what, what? The Holy Spirit? This is, oh. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is like naming your kid Joe. I mean, no pun with Joseph, right? I mean, just, it is so common in that first century. Why? Well, Jesus is actually Yeshua, which is Joshua. If you know, if you've read the Old Testament, you know Joshua was this incredible military leader. He leads the people into the promised land after Moses dies on Mount Nebo. And, and, I mean, Joshua's a rock star. He's amazing. I want to be like Joshua when I grow up. And these parents are like, we're looking for a savior. We're looking for a Messiah. We're looking for someone to save us from Rome. We're under Rome's thumb. We need saving. And the kind of saving we need is God is the one who saves. That's what the name means. Mary and Joseph, they don't have to go through all the baby books to try to figure out names. Put those away. We know what we're going to name them. There's only a few children in the Bible that are named by God ahead of time. John the Baptist is one, as well as Jesus. So here's his name. Oh, and by the way, this is not the same kind of Savior that you're thinking. He will save his people from their sins. It is not about military might. It's not about Rome being pushed away. This is about forgiveness of sins. And where have we seen this before? Glad you asked. Psalm 130. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. Ooh, so good. Unfailing love. He has unfailing love for us. With, its, with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And we know that the saving wasn't just Israel, but it's for every nation. So there is this peace with a Savior that's coming. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And so getting back to our passage here, all this the angel coming and saying these things took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. So Matthew's going, hang on, we need to make sure that we tie this to the Old Testament because this is one great redemption story. There is one salvation plan saying it started way back here in the garden. It will end in a garden in Revelation. And along the way, this all took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 7 when he said, the virgin will conceive which normally doesn't happen, P.S., just in case you didn't graduate from uh, fifth grade, um, and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Emmanuel is not a name, although you might know someone who's called Emmanuel. Uh, it's a title. 
God with us. He's the one that is with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. God just says that over and over and over in the Bible. It's like we forget or we never knew in the first place that he's always with us. And that is going to be the key to our peace, the fact that God will never leave us or forsake us. In this, in this society we live in, there is incredible loneliness. 52% of Americans report feeling lonely. 47% of Americans report their relationships with others are not meaningful. 57% single or not of Americans report eating all meals alone. Wow. There is a loneliness epidemic. And on top of that, there's three, the three top phobias in the U.S. These are fairly recent polls, by the way. Um, the top one is uh, fear of the dark. Why? Probably because you're alone. Just my, my, my spin. The second one is uh, the fear of people. Um, by the way, that's Californians' biggest fear. You're going to see someone that you don't want to see at Costco because you broke up with them last year. Or, you know, you were fighting with your neighbor and now all of a sudden they're out raking the lawn at the same time you are. Whatever the thing is, you're afraid of people. And Californians aren't the only state where that's the number one fear. But that does kind of speak to isolation and the final one is, the, 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 of the top three, is being alone. Eight of the states, this is their top concern. Being alone is the big fear. I'll let you just digest that for a second. Once again, what does God say? Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Here is God's presence with the comfort of fear. Do you see that? Just making it really clear for you, just in case you didn't have enough coffee this morning. So when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph wakes up. He obeys what the angel says. He takes Mary. This is the same word, paralambano. This is um, when Jesus says in John 14, for I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. I will bring you alongside where I am. Oh, it's so good. That's also the same word that a groom would say to his bride as, as he's leaving, having done the betrothal ceremony, and saying, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will paralambado, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So here's Joseph making good on his betrothal promise to take Mary home as his wife. What does this mean? This means they had a wedding. I've been really chewing on this for like three weeks so that I didn't get it wrong. You, you don't take her home as your wife if you don't have a wedding. Why doesn't anybody ever talk about their wedding? I think it's really cool that Mary and Joseph are real human beings, by the way. They have a love story that's beautiful. 
They have these divine connections. By the way, Mary gets the, the, the heads up, hey, by the way, you're going to get pregnant. Joseph doesn't get the heads up. Why? Because God never works the same way with two different people. So don't ever get to a place where you're comparing yourself to what someone else's experience with God is. You, that will really be a bummer for you. So Joseph doesn't get the heads up. It's okay. Why? Because God knows that he can trust him. I love that. This is the trustworthy, righteous son of David who could be trusted with this kind of pressure and stress. And so he takes her home as his wife, but he does not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. There are some that say, oh, well, Mary never had sex. That was just, that somehow she was uh, chased for her entire life. Well, and how do you explain uh, Jesus' family and the gospels coming uh, to see him while he's doing ministry? That kind of is a problem with that theology. So put that away. These are real people who love God and that are righteous, and they, they work so hard to try to do it right. And she gave birth to a son, and we know they gave him the name Jesus. What's the takeaway for Joseph? For me, it's his obedience. He does what he's told. He's a righteous man. So peace, as we land this this morning. I was thinking about pathways to peace for us because I'm already stressed out, guys, and I feel like we've got more of the Christmas season to look forward to than look behind. I'm like, what, what is going on? Whether it's, I mean, all the things. And probably you're just like me. So how do we get back to a place where Advent could really be this sweet time with Jesus instead of this crazy time where we hate our life? Well, I want to point you to one of our, our, my podcasts from earlier this year. It's episode 46. It's called, how, I, how Do I Carry Peace? It's nine minutes long, so depending upon your commute in the morning, you could listen to it on the way to work. Uh, it's got some show notes that gives you uh, some, I think, some really helpful declarations in it as well. But uh, that's just a, re- a resource for you because I believe that we carry peace, that we have an opportunity to share the peace that we carry. And because Jesus gives me peace, I have something to give away. And when I give it away, it's not like I miss it. It actually just continues to flow. It's like peace like a river in my soul. Okay, you're welcome. All right. So I read a story this week, uh, a nurse named Cindy Holmes, she's in Houston area, and she was caring, caring for this, um, this mother and this little boy who both had HIV and it turned into AIDS. And as she was caring for them, it was, it was obvious that this little boy well, he just didn't stop. He was just a little dynamo. He would you know, put his oxygen canister in and, and away he would go. And yet it got to a place where they realized that the illness was progressing and they were both dying. And it was obvious to this little boy, Tyler's mother, that he was probably going to die first. And so she decided she better talk with him about what was going to happen next. She pulled him into her bed, and they talked about life and love and fun. And then she brought up the topic of heaven. She said, you know, Tyler, I was kind of hoping that you'd do your growing up here. But the doctors say your body is telling them that you might want to move on and grow up in heaven, she continued. You know, she, and she said, I, I made a decision. 
And Tyler asked, what is that, mommy? And she said, I've decided that if you're going to go to live in heaven, I'm going to go do that too, because wherever you are, that's where I want to be. A few days later, Cindy, the nurse, was in Tyler's room, and she, she said he looked up at her and said, Miss Holmes, will you do me a favor? Cindy said, sure, Tyler, what do you need? He said, when I die, would you put a red shirt on me? Cindy answered, Tyler, why do you want me to put you in a red shirt? He explained, well, I'm going to grow up in heaven, and I've been told that it's really fun over there, and I'm going to have friends, and I'm going to play, but my mommy's is going to come over there too, and she's going to be looking for me. So if I'm real busy and I don't see her coming, I want her to see me. So it's important that I have something on that she can see. So would you give me a red shirt? Tyler looked up from his bed and continued, you know, heaven wouldn't be heaven without mommy. The nurse said, I was overwhelmed by this inexpressible sense of peace that was on his face, even at a time of inexpressible crisis. And suddenly I understood where it was coming from. His peace was the result of his mother's presence with him through his life, throughout his illness, and her promise that no matter where he went and no matter what happened, she would still be there. What a powerful picture of what it looks like for us to carry peace and to share it with others and how it can transform the mindset of others and how God does the same for us. As our Father, He walks with us, He prepares a place for us, and He never leaves us at any moment. As I reflected on this short passage of Scripture from Matthew 1, I was struck by how obedience and peace fit so well together. You see, when we come into alignment with what the Holy Spirit wants and we walk out righteousness, right alignment with the righteous one, there is this release of peace to us. It doesn't mean everything's easy, but there is a connection between obedience and peace. And sometimes we struggle with obedience and obedience certainly is proof of our love for God. That's what John 15 says. But these two things are linked. Secondly, I believe that surrendering control is what our friend Joseph did. He couldn't control the situation. In fact, we can't really control anything. Control is an illusion. The only form of control that's godly is self-control. And that's only because the Holy Spirit does that in and through us. And yet so many things we try to control in this life because we're afraid and we want peace. And yet I believe the challenge to you this Christmas season is to let go of the rope and begin to learn to trust God in new ways for new things. That could be a relationship with one of your relatives you're going to see. That could be disappointment around what's happening with your own kids. That can be frustration in your job. What is it that you need to surrender to Jesus where he will give you a gift of peace back? Third, Thanksgiving. I'm just going to keep beating on the Thanksgiving drum. I know that we already passed the holiday, but Colossians was all about this. There is a release of peace and joy when you choose into gratitude. It is literally scientifically proven. 
So choose Thanksgiving. When you're having a rough day, pull out your journal or a sticky note and just start, Lord, I thank you for this, and I thank you for that, and I thank you for that. It will shift how you think about things, and peace will begin to arrive. Fourth, pursue the presence of God. For you, this might look different. Some, for some of you, this is music. For some of you, it's solitude. Some of you, it's uh, taking a walk in the park or um, even sitting with a friend and just sensing what God is doing. Prayer is obviously one of the big ways that we pursue his presence, just finding the space and time to be with God. And certainly, rhythms are a key part of receiving peace. We're going to have a refresh on godly rhythms, by the way, in January, because I think, well, I'll just speak for myself, I need that. Therefore, I believe that we all need to be reminded of God's healthy rhythms for our lives. Last is this, give your life to Jesus. It's the ultimate surrender of control. And it's really what's in front of you today. And maybe you're here this morning, someone invited you to see living art and uh, to hear from God's word and to sing Christmas songs. And yet you're really seeking after truth. You're seeking after peace. You realize that your life is broken and you can't put it back together. And you need a savior, not a political savior, not a, a savior that will save you from a, an evil empire, but a savior that will release you from your sins. And if you're like me, you know you've done things to hurt others, and you've broken God's laws, and therefore God says, well, therefore you will be separated from me. But Jesus says, no, no, wait, 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 wait. Jesus comes and dies on the cross in our place. Why? Because when we break God's laws, there is payment required, and that payment is in blood. And Jesus sheds his own blood to purchase our redemption or our opportunity to step into life with him and to be reconciled with God so we can be with him forever. And so in front of you is a decision today on if is today the day of your salvation? Is today the day where you say, yes, Jesus, I will surrender to you. I will lay it all down and ask you to be the one who leads my life. I'm not going to call the shots anymore. I'm going to let you call the shots. Studies say that it takes people hearing this message a number of times before they respond. And therefore, you will hear this over and over from this place, this stage, because this is the most important decision you'll make in your entire life. While that list of things to pursue peace is helpful, and I pray that it is, it pales in comparison to this last bullet point, which is everything. It's a surrender to Jesus and an inviting him to come and be the Lord, be the boss, be the one who leads you and guides you. And then when you surrender to him, he gives you a gift of his Holy Spirit that lives inside you, that gives you the power and the love and the strength to do the things that he says. So that you're not just doing the right thing for doing the right thing's sake, but you're actually living into life to the fullest that Jesus came to bring us. But it starts with giving your life to Jesus. And so if you're in that space today, I'm going to pray a short prayer. And I would love for you to pray it just quietly right where you are in your seat. If you're ready to just say, yes, 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 I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to finally surrender. This is your moment. And so just as we pray, you can pray along with me. Lord, I recognize 
that I have blown it. So I ask you, forgive my sins. Cleanse me from the inside out. I give my life to you, Jesus. I ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to come and live inside me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you that you have life to the fullest for me. Help me walk and grow with you. Jesus' name. If you were in that space this morning where you said, yeah, for the first time, yeah, I, I, that was me this morning. Just raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to know, because I believe that God is working and he's showing himself. Is there anybody like that today? Say, first time, yep, I'm in. I'm in with Jesus. All right, I'm gonna, now I'm going to flip the coin. Who said, man, I was praying that prayer I've already given my life to Jesus, but man, I've been off track. And I was praying that prayer this morning because I, man, I need to get back on track. All right? Great, 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 great. So Jesus, for those who were saying yes to you again and and upping the ante on their commitment and just going after you in a fresh way, God, I pray a blessing on them as they continue to walk in this space. And for those who are maybe even just too afraid to raise their hands, they don't want to be embarrassed. God, I pray that you'd bless those as well. Allow us to figure out ways to walk together and to grow together. So thank you for what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. Great, great, great. So would you stand? I want to pray a blessing over you. And um, I think I, I think our... I think our vignette people might be coming back out at the end so you can go up and, and see them kind of close up. Michael's hair is worth beholding for sure. <laughs> Wish I had hair like that. I could just do a thing. But a prayer, folks, if you'd come down forward to, perhaps you're in a space where you're like, yeah, we talked about peace, but I need, I need, I need help. Um, we have folks here that would love to pray for you. So Lord, thank you. Thanks for your goodness and grace. I pray uh, for each one who's here this morning that you would lead us into a new place of peace. Strengthen our walk with you. Thank you for those who are making commitments to you once again. I pray that you would strengthen and help them to walk uh, with others so that they're not isolated and alone. Thank you that you'll never leave us or forsake us. I pray a blessing on this congregation, meeting here and on the stream, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you today. If you did business with God, we'd love to talk to you and help you grow. Otherwise, we'll see you next week.